Welcome back, guys. I'm Tina. Hey, this is Jen. And this is The Sinistry, a podcast where we explore the sinistries or compatibilities and potential astrological signs of our favorite fictional characters. Jen and I both love watching TV and movies, and Jen is my go-to when it comes to astrology because I am a fledgling. So what better way to deep dive into our favorite shows and movies than to discuss some astro-based character psychology? This is solely for the purpose of fun and to lay the groundwork for learning astrology for fledglings like me. So today our episode is White Lotus, Season 2. White Lotus was created by Mike White, who some of you may know from creating Enlightened or his experience on Survivor. So Jen, let's get right into it. What do you think Mike White's astrology is and why? So I did not look up Mike White and now I'm feeling sheepish. I think the only previous work of his that I'm familiar with is School of Rock, which I mean, amazing. Okay, well, I'm gonna base my guesswork on Mike White's astrology solely on the vibe of the show. White Lotus is such a mood. So and there's so much like off the top of my head, it's water. It's got to be water. He's he's giving so much Plutonian energy that it could be Scorpio. You know, there are, there are themes here in the show of vengeance and, you know, darkness and power. So I think my number one choice, my number one guess would be Scorpio. But regardless, he's absolutely a water sign. I'll, I will say that is a fact. Just think you, you we get presented with the ocean and bodies of water throughout the season and even the first season, you know, it's Hawaii. It's like these repetitive themes of the churning waves and sort of the moodiness of the ocean and the tides and the swimming and the jet skis and um, all the scenes in the pool where the characters sort of have these like intimate one-on-ones with each other within bodies of water. Yeah, it's, it's presenting the ocean as like a metaphor for the show within itself. Just this unforgiving force of nature, unpredictable, uh, sort of beautiful to witness, but powerful and destructive at the same time. So yeah, water brings life, but it also destroys it. So very mirroring, I think, of the themes of this show and the characters in it. So yes, but tell me, what is Mike White? Because now I was very confident in my water answer, but let's see. He's June 28th. Aha! Okay, wrong about Scorpio, fair enough, but right about water. Cancer is a water sign. That makes lovely, lovely sense. Mike! So before we start with the character astrology, our episode was recorded before we watched the finale, so please keep that in mind. And just in case you haven't seen season two, here's a quick recap. McCoy, now Hunt, is back to White Lotus Sicilia with her new husband who immediately leaves her and, I mean, the drip. Luckily, her assistant, Portia, who she has asked to not be there while remaining at the hotel, stays by her side, kind of, for action dramatica. Leaving some trouble at home, we meet three generations of the Grasso family, which quickly leads to the introduction of escorts Mia and Lucia, a real pain in the patootie for hotel manager Valentina. Other fancy guests running from their problems include old friend Cameron and Ethan and their wives Daphne and Harper, who may or may not all touch each other at one point or another. And then the real pain in the arse is confusing Quentin and his not-so-nephew Jack. And with all that and more, you have the characters of season two of White Lotus, who through multiple storylines and dinners solely at the hotel restaurant, despite being in one of the food destinations of the world, manage to all come together for some murder. Who will die? 
If you've seen it, you know, but just a reminder, we have not seen the finale. We haven't seen it. So Jen, tell us, tell us the astrology. Let's start with Tanya. Tanya McCoy. Before we get into the big three information and the astrology of these characters, I do want to preface this episode by saying because this show is basically, you know, a murder mystery type of show, we are purposely as an audience in the dark when it comes to these characters. So we're sort of intentionally left out of their motives for the very point of the plot. So they're presenting us uh, in many ways very unlikable characters uh, with a lot of dark traits being showcased. So, you know, in, in many ways, these will be negative expressions of the zodiac archetypes. I don't want anyone to think I'm hating on any of the signs in this discussion, but these are definitely negative aspects of these signs on display here because we're meant purposely as an audience to not understand who might have killed someone, who's capable of killing, etc. So as far as the moon signs, which are, you know, sort of the motive, the emotional motivations for these characters, I believe, you know, they're purposely hidden. So we don't have a fully fledged idea of who exactly we're dealing with. Um, so I just wanted to say that before we dive in. Okay, the big three. So as we do here on the Sinistry, we get into these zodiac breakdowns of our favorite fictional characters. Uh, because they are fictional, this is all fun and guesswork. And you can't take it too seriously. But it is a very fun and interesting way to learn sort of basics of astrology. So your sun sign is your birthday sign, your horoscope sign. It sort of is the background color of your canvas. Your moon sign is your emotional plane. It is what you need. Uh, it is what drives you emotionally. It's your kind of soul sign, as some might call it. And it's also something that's a bit more hidden from the public view. It's an intimate uh, knowledge of a person. And then your rising sign is your outward personality. So it covers everything from your style, your physical appearance, the way you speak, whether you're introvert, extrovert, etc. So that very much colors your personality and your first impression. Okay, let's jump into Tanya. Of course, we got to start with Tanya, the iconic Jennifer Coolidge. I'm calling her uh, very much a Pisces uh, in the negative expression of Pisces. I feel she is a woman who has completely in a way lost her potential in life where she's just really in the deep end so to speak um she's super dreamy intuitive uh, although she completely ignores her gut for most of these two seasons uh with her wild dissociating and that awkward sex scene uh she's just she's just a very delusional person and she likes to live in this delusional world uh, she refuses to have negative information presented to her, like the tarot card lady. That was hilarious. She's just, this is so negative. She doesn't want to hear it. Um, she really enjoys living in this fantasy world that she's created in her own head. Uh, even her big day moment where she wanted to literally embody Monica Vitti and live this Italian fantasy moment in, in a role type scenario. Uh, this is this to me is all very Neptune influenced, which is the ruler planet of Pisces and is considered sort of this illusionist planet and this dreamscape planet. When it's in negative expression, 
it can create illusions, uh, escapism, addiction even. So it's a dangerous planet to to have a negative influence of simply because it's sort of these rose-colored glasses where you just don't pay attention to some of the things that you should. It's the disappearance of the red flags. They all get faded into pink. Uh, so Tanya, she's she's honestly pretty tragic. Uh, it's hilarious to watch because it's Jennifer Coolidge and she's always hilarious to watch, but it really is sort of watching this slow motion train wreck um, and this, yeah, for these reasons, I'm calling her Pisces Sun and a Pisces Rising. I think she's really, really full of this water energy. Her moon was a bit more complicated for me to hone in on. I originally was set on it being a Taurus moon for her love of luxury and pampering for her great taste. Uh, even even one time she, she commented in a scene, I quote, I live for beauty. So it was one of the later episodes. And that's a very Venusian statement, uh, Venus being the ruler of Taurus. And Tanya also seems to be very rooted. Uh, she's loyal despite everything. Um, and she's pretty stubborn in her emotional plane, which adds up with a Taurus archetypal moon placement. However, I was a little on the fence as we move along in the season I sort of gravitated for a moment towards Leo, too, because I noticed that Tanya loves to be flattered and complimented. She loves positive attention, and that is very Leo quality, matched with her sensitivity and this bold, loud style that she's got, all these colors and big sunglasses and her wild hair. It could definitely be a Leo moon direction that's been significantly watered down by all of her Piscean traits. So those are my big three guesses for Tanya. And then we have little Portia. Portia, played by newcomer Haley Lou Richardson. To me, Portia is a Tanya that has the opportunity to make better life choices. I also think she has better astrological tools to do so than Tanya, at least from what we see as an audience. With Portia, we have someone who is rather depressed but still quirky, curious, craving adventure. She's like, she's someone waiting for her life to start. And she's currently stuck, kind of drowning in Tanya's muddled waters. So this is, I'm calling her a Pisces too, solely because she's, she, she has this seeming ability to absorb energy and being around Tanya's, she, yeah, she's literally drowning in sorrow. Even Sicily can't snap her out of it. Uh, but what can snap her out of it is a completely emotionally unavailable and red flag ridden British guy, which she allows because she's not looking for someone like nice guy Albie. She wants this bad boy uh, to sort of break free of her depressive state. Um, I called her out as a Gemini moon. She's a little, you know, a little scatterbrained, a little detached, a little restless, the last thing she wants to do is be holed up in a hotel room, even if it is this gorgeous five-star hotel. She's always down for, you know, an adventure. She's like full of spirit. She's just held down at the moment. But she's she's bold in the way she sort of invites herself into Albie's family unit in the beginning. Um, and I called her as a, I called Portia as an Aquarius rising solely for her much talked about style or lack thereof. I, I think she marches to the beat of her own drum, particularly in the arena of her appearance. Uh, she also has this, you know, very 
classic Aquarian rebellious flair, going for the bad boys, not staying in her room despite her bosses demanding it, etc. Yeah, I think Tanya and Portia both share this like Piscean curse of Pisces in its negative expression, almost where they are stuck together, or at least Portia is stuck with Tanya. But I think they, they, because of this shared zodiac sign, they, they have a mutual understanding and they sort of see a little bit of each other and the other, if that makes sense. Oh, Albie, the apple that fell very far from the tree. Um, yeah, he's completely unlike his father and his grandfather, or so we hope. I mean, it seems like they're in a little bit of a cycle there. Obviously, the grandfather had sins of his own that were passed on to the father, and I think Albie's very aware of all of this and is very adamant about not becoming his father or grandfather, so... He definitely has a very strong moral compass and an awareness and a respect for females. Um, in fact, there's even this one scene that I noticed re-watching one of the episodes in the earlier, I think it was like the second or third episode, where he had just met Portia, like literally just met her. And he's walking to the pool and you just get his back and the most gorgeous women are walking towards camera next to him, like right past him. He doesn't even full in. She don't see him like turn to check them out. Nothing. He's just like completely already emotionally invested in his newfound relationship with Portia. And that is so telling of this character. <laughs> he is just so committed off the bat. It's very, very sweet. Um, so nice guy, Albie. He I'm calling him a cancer son. I think that he wants to be this hero type he wants to be pr the protector you know when later on in the season when he meets Lucia like he's go he's ready to go to war for her he's ready to to make sure she's okay and get her what she needs and just be this knight in shining armor so it's very cancer um protective moral compass leadership um, I gave him a Libra moon just because of this seemingly constant need to partner you know, he's only in Sicily for a week and he's like what he basically m makes two girlfriends. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's on a mission and that's a very Libra moon quality. And also that loyalty that comes with having your moon in a partnership sign like Libra, where when you are committed, you are committed. And there's definitely that in Albi. And I called him a Virgo rising because he's got sort of this innocence to him. It's like 
little bit of a virginal quality and not to say that Virgo means anything to do with virginity literally but there is a, a certain sense of innocence that comes with Virgo and also um, a lovely like earthy intuition that Albie seems to have and and you know he's he's soft and I think that Virgo rising softens him out as well as all these other lovely placements I think Albie's a lovely character but he he really he wants to be the hero here and I hope he gets his moment I hope he doesn't get in trouble for it what about the couples what are your thoughts on the couples this was definitely the part I was looking forward to the most I was completely enthralled with sort of this analysis character analysis of these two couples because we definitely get the most screen time with them and the darkest plotline and this sort of crazy character arcs for all of them well actually more so for Harper and Ethan but it's very Shakespearean tragedy and it's very fascinating to watch this these two dynamics having to be forced in the same hotel with each other and the tension that that creates and the craziness that ensues so let's get into we'll start with Cameron Theo James um I called him out as an Aries sun a Sagittarius moon and a Scorpio rising with Cameron it was themes of power adventure uh this hyper masculine warrior you know athlete type um really loves the chase really seems to enjoy coveting things that are not his, a.k.a. Uh, poor Ethan's college romantic interests. Uh, yeah, Cameron is very, you know, he's a show-off. We have, like, literally are seeing all of him in the, what, the first episode. Yeah, Cameron is, is a very interesting, very dark character, like, delete all of this crap Tina (laughs) I'm pausing a lot here because I'm just figuring out when you might want to jump in I'm going to cut it here and then you could delete the last minute and comment if you needed to on Theo yeah Cameron is sort of this hyper masculine male archetype with all this fire the Sagittarius moon sort of driving him to oh like he's got a lot of energy He's got a lot of this lust for life, for adventure, for variety. Uh, he's Scorpio rising, I thought, was the most prominent trait of his. I'm sure he's got some, you know, we don't get into further placements here on this podcast, but I'm sure underneath the surface, there's going to be a lot of this Scorpion energy. Uh, he Scorpio rising, he's got a very salesman type personality you know he's the whole purpose of this trip is really for him to sort of convince Ethan to allow him to invest money or something along those lines I don't exactly remember the specifics of the deal but you know he, he's he's got a powerful influence he's very manipulative charming you know he knows the right words to say there's a lot of sexual undertones to him um towards Ethan even, towards his wife, obviously, towards Harper, towards the, like, there's just a lot of sexual nuances to Cameron in a dark way, like in a, in a, not a fun loving sweet way, in a very sort of using sex as a power tool 
for him, which is a very Scorpion, Plutonian trait. Um, I really find that this is this Scorpion quality is an interesting dynamic to tie Daphne into this here. So we can talk about uh, Megan Fahey as Daphne. Brilliant character, brilliant job acting. At first, I was like, I, I couldn't figure her out whatsoever in the first two episodes. She's just like on some kind of tranquilizer drug, but then I slowly started to see her unravel and her character reveal itself, which was very cool. But yeah, there's a lot of quotes between Daphne and Cameron, especially in their sex life, where it was a it's about power. You know, she pretends that she slept with her masseuse, for example, and he was just like, well, I'm going to divorce you. But you could see it's almost a turn on this idea of like vengeance of like punishing her in, in a weird way. And Daphne even says at one point um, about how certain women have their men by the balls or something or like cut their balls off too. I don't know if you remember that, but she's and then they start kissing and she said, but if I wanted to, I could. And it's sort of this idea that she has this tremendous amount of power over him too. So I actually called out to transition to Daphne. I called her out as a Scorpio moon for that reason. She's got a ton going on under the surface. I think she's a Taurus sun, which gives her this very sort of soft exterior, this sort of laissez-faire, little bit laid back, lazy, sort of just loving the luxury, loving the pampering, loving the environment, sort of sunny, sunny side of life attitude, um, paired up with a Gemini rising, which gives her this detached, seemingly detached quality, and this ability to sort of like, chat away about a variety of subjects and always sort of seem fine, no matter what's going on around her, she's sort of always the same temperature on the outside, if that makes sense. And it isn't even until you start to see the things chip away and you start to understand that there's a lot of background, that they aren't the perfect couple they seem to portray on the outside, but there's actually a lot going on under there. And this sort of scorpion moon of hers is boiling up a little bit. Because um, the scorpio moon, when emotionally neglected, like it seems like Daphne could be, or at least maybe not emotionally neglected, but she's definitely been crossed by Cameron. He's definitely crossed the line by having cheated on her in the past and obviously having cheated on her in this season. She's definitely capable of a massive explosion. You know, everything that we're seeing on the facade is exactly that. It is a facade. So yeah, that's sort of my take on Daphne and Cameron. In the beginning, I just loved Ethan so much. I was thinking he's there to be with his friend. He wants everybody to be friends. He is in this new position of making a lot of money. And so he wants to treat his wife. But as each episode goes on, you can see that there's just this built up anger that he's probably never addressed. And you can see him just starting to boil and boil and boil more. So I feel like we've watched a lot of crime stuff, the two of us and not <clears throat> who I mean, we could be completely wrong. But if I was like, just watch, starting a crime show, my mom would say, oh, he's the killer. Because it does seem that he's going to pop. Yes. And I think that this could very well be a very negative expression of a Libra Ooh. with Ethan. I know. Maybe that's why it hit so close to home. 
<laughs> because you described it so well. That's such a Libra quality. You want everyone around you to be comfortable, to have fun. You want to bring people together. You want to make sure everybody's like feeling good. Like there's a lot of heavy responsibility on the social level for Libras, you know, to keep the peace, to keep the balance, to be aware of others, fairness. So I, I called Ethan out as a Libra for that very reason. But like you said, there's underlying stuff that's been neglected there. I think he's got this like angry nerd complex where I'm sure he's dealt his whole life with like being teased and taken advantage of. And now here he is in this power position for the first time. But there's a lot of pent up energy where even now in his success, he's still getting bullied in a way by this character Cameron. And he's still in the like he's in a relationship that I think at one point was a happy one. And he still wants it to be happy. You know, I feel like he genuinely wants to keep the peace in the relationship and he wants it to work and he still really loves her and cares for her. But it's still kind of messing up. And I think that even at this pinnacle of success for him, this frustrations are boiling over because he still sees, like he's still getting this sort of shit from other people. I'm calling Ethan's moon a Taurus moon because there's something, there's something like very sensual and grounded about him and calming. I think he like sort of provides a grounding for Harper in many ways with this Taurus moon but it's also a fixed sign and you know he's in it for the long haul as far as his emotional place like he's super loyal he's a very loyal guy to Harper and also like his work life seems to have been a project that's taken him a lot of time he spent a lot of emotional energy on it but he was in it for the long haul so he did reach his success and that's a very Taurus quality, sort of this very hardworking, dedicated, you know, Taurus gets sort of a bad rep for laziness, but in the positive expression of Taurus, when they want to do something, when they're passionate about something, they're very, very hardworking people. So I gave um, Ethan this Taurus moon also because of his running. I feel like he has like a lot of like pent up energy, this earthiness, this need for like feet on the ground kind of thing, this physical exercise need especially obviously they're not they're not having a lot of sex recently so I think there's a lot of that energy that he needs to expend um and then I gave him a Pisces rising I went with Pisces because he's definitely like he's definitely a feeling character and if he's very sensitive and he you know he's sensitive to his surroundings he clearly picks up on other people's energies pretty quickly he knows when Harper's upset, not like that's difficult to know with the way she stares at him. But uh, yeah, I think Ethan is very sensitive to other people's emotions, which is very Piscean. He comes across as a little shy, you know, which is very Piscean as well. And there's something about him that is extremely intuitive, where, you know, and we don't know if he's right yet. Maybe we'll find out in the end, but he starts to unravel with the suspicion of Harper having cheated on him with Cameron and you see a complete darkness come over him so he's very much somewhere else you know he's in this like dreamlike very Piscean state all of a sudden where these ideas are these paranoia is creeping up and he's sort of boiling over as well similar to Harper so there's this you know, while his is Pisces and the big three, hers is Scorpio and her moon, but there's definitely this water coming up, boiling to the surface in both of them for different reasons. Um, 
but again, in the same way that I spoke about Cameron having these undertones beyond the big three, I think Ethan has got a lot of Scorpio undertones under his big three as well. And again, we don't get into stuff like that on this show, but it is interesting to say there is a sense of this like vengeance. Even he makes a couple of remarks directed at Cameron in the show about you know, Cameron sort of bullying him in the past and like kind of look at him now, you know, he's got more money or something like he's made a couple of remarks that are very, you know, as if vengeance has been enacted, as if he's been waiting for this kind of moment to be the winner in a way. And that kind of brings me to sort of this very funny dynamic between Cameron and Ethan. And it's, you know, me calling Cameron and Aries and Ethan and Libra, the synastry of those two archetypes, their polarity, so they're complete opposites on the zodiac wheel. And when you have complete opposite signs, it creates a lot of tension. And in a romantic sense, that romantic tension could lead to a very passionate relationship. But in, you know, a bromance, so to speak, it's tension and it's competition. But there still is this like sexual tension and it is sort of apparent between them. There's a lot of like jokes that Cameron makes, you know, uh, to Ethan, like messing around with him, little sexual references between them. Um, but there's this definite competitive spirit like that the jet ski scene with them racing each other and you could just sort of see the competitiveness between them. Um, coming to the surface and as we move along obviously that gets darker and more paranoid and more dangerous I also noticed and I don't know if this is relevant to anything this might not I might be digging too deep here but there were definite um, wardrobe choices made with this with the two couples throughout the series I felt like in the beginning at least the first couple of scenes with Harper and Ethan they were wearing like bluish colors or sort of dark colors compared to Daphne and Cameron wearing these like bright oranges and floral patterns and yellows and like very happy, very fiery colors. And then there was like a shift and it sort of coincided with the trip to Noto and all of a sudden now Ethan's wearing orange and then Ethan has a scene where he's like really getting like the whole scene where he thinks Harper has sex with Cameron or whatever happens in the hotel room where he's wearing red and then he continues to wear red for a minute. So I don't know. I like maybe I'm reading it too into this, but also from an astrological point of view, the color blue is associated with Pluto, the blue planet. Um, and it's obviously the scorpion energy, but a subdued scorpion energy. But Scorpio is also ruled by Mars classically so you sort of have this color red which is also very Aries which is also Mars kind of coming forward in Ethan and also in Harper I think yeah I think in the one of the later episodes she's wearing a red dress or something so I just feel like this is sort of these personality traits coming to the surface and that's me really diving deep but who knows it's Mike White <laughs> okay so Harper um, huge Aubrey Plaza fan. I absolutely adore her. One of my favorite roles is Ingrid Goes West. I think she's an absolute maniac. And I was kind of hoping for more of her maniac side in this show, but so far it's cool and collected for the most part. But she's, she's amazing. I called her an Aquarius sun. I called her an Aquarius sun for the reasons of, especially her first 
couple of scenes where she just doesn't care to be nice if she's not in the mood to be nice and she doesn't really like the social aspects of things she doesn't love having a ton of money she mentions some humanitarian efforts that are very important to her which is very aquarius like she wants she wants to be involved in a higher cause she's very concerned with worldly affairs she is very stubborn in her ways uh she kind of marches to the beat of her own drum in a sense where she doesn't sort of comply with social norms in many senses i guess throughout the show uh, i called her a virgo moon because there is something sort of grounded and earthy about her and composed but also virgo on an emotional plane it's very uh it's very judgy i think she's quite a judgy one especially her chatter in the first two seasons uh, sorry first two episodes regarding uh daphne and cameron's relationship she talks a lot of smack about those two and it's very criticizing and judgy and you know virgos are also critical on themselves so i think she is that in a way as well about you know especially about her relationship with ethan etc so virgo moon there and i called her a scorpio rising in scorpio rising just because she was able to sort of put on put on the charm when she realized she needed to if that makes sense like all of you know when she says like tomorrow i'm gonna be fun i'm gonna be this person and all of a sudden we saw a new face of harper and you know scorpio rising can choose you know i, I talk about masks the rising sign is something that chooses you you don't choose it but in the case of scorpio rising it's the charmer it's the salesperson it's sort of like they do have that ability, it's Gemini rising too a little bit, where, and Libra rising actually, it's sort of this social skill, you know, and it, Scorpio rising are very socially skilled when they want to be, and when she decided it was necessary, she did put on that charm, and she, she was quite flirty also, especially when she was drinking, <laughs> the scene where they were drinking the whole day, uh, all of a sudden this like sexual undercurrent came on, and to me that's very Scorpio rising and I think you know again we can't get a good read on it because they're muddling things on purpose towards this last um second to last episode so we don't know what's going to happen but she definitely you could see like vengeance and malice in her eyes almost as if when if she did have sex with Cameron which is what the assumption is and what Ethan thinks for sure um she sort of looks pleased with herself in a strange way as if like she got her vengeance and now they're even and she's like I don't know almost like turned on by herself in a way of like that she has this power um so yeah that was very Scorpio rising to me there's something in her I think in their sinistry in their relationship when she finds the rapper it's almost like she's been looking for that rapper for some long time that she wanted to find that rapper and have something in my, Ooh. in my opinion, maybe she didn't even know that, but they do seem like they have a strong friendship. Also next to Cameron and Daphne, it's kind of hard. Cameron and Daphne are all over each other, constantly touching each other. And maybe Harper and Ethan are a little more reserved, but I do see this, 
realization in her that maybe revelation and maybe it's a better word that she probably was looking for that condom and wants to catch him and wants to to be the one i don't know what i'm trying to say no i think that's totally on point i i i see that i do think that she's sort of manifesting a reason to not walk away from this necessarily but there's just she knows there's something going on with this marriage and she's sort of figuring out what to do and that's a perfect cue to stir the pot also as far as the sinistries between the couples uh yeah we should talk about that because it's they're obviously they're both married to each other so you know with harper and ethan as far as their big threes there's definitely compatibility you know they're both air suns earth moons and water rising so that's a huge across the board sort of generalized understanding however they're very different uh, placements of those elements and so there's definitely room for misunderstandings and misplaced emotions um and i just also think their timing right now is difficult but again to for true long-run compatibility and sinistry you'd have to start to look under the surface of what's going on but they definitely they definitely are a strong couple with the big three sinistry going on and the sinistry of cameron and daphne very different in the placements but his scorpio rising is definitely very attracted to her scorpio moon and vice versa so their their kind of scorpion connection is something that really sparks that and that's you know they're all over each other throughout the whole vacation they have kids you know they're supposed to be sort of this quote-unquote couple that that shouldn't be the case with but it is and it's just definitely this scorpio cyclical sexual game in a sense that they're playing with each other that just keeps things very fresh and very exciting and and that really works for them i don't know if it'll work forever they might kill each other but for right now it's going great i think it's important to also talk about the sinistry between harper and daphne because that's a very interesting dynamic the two of them are not two ladies that get along off the bat and you know it's they're very they're both fixed suns uh harper being aquarius air sign daphne taurus sun sign both very fixed set in their ways stubborn will definitely butt heads on how they see the world you know taurus ruled by venus aquarius ruled by uranus it's two very different planetary influences so they're literally like from two different planets from two different social circles um two different backgrounds and you could see right off the bat they're not going to be best besties um but very slowly like throughout almost like the episode before the last um we finally start to see the scorpio coming out in both of them that's sort of their only commonality in their big three and that's daphne scorpio moon and harper scorpio rising sort of this boiling up of these scorpion plutonian themes in both of them sort of create a common ground where all of a sudden without saying it there's a little bit more of a connection between them a little bit more of an understanding and also their positions are similar because you know in harper's mind ethan might have cheated on her and she relates because daphne has been cheated on um just recently in the hotel at the same time so there's definitely sort of this camaraderie that they find with each other um and yeah it's an interesting character arc to see 
and also, you know, Daphne revealing a lot of her personal life, which is, you know, the secretive Scorpio moon that she has is very protective of her underlying life story. And so to have that starting to be revealed to Harper and little bits and pieces, like her showing the picture of her son, who clearly is not Cameron's son, that was pretty wild. So I just feel like we're getting these secrets and it's creating this bond, which is a very cool sinistry to see. Lucia Greco. <laughs> I almost like saying that as much as I like saying the actress's name. Simona Tibasco. What a cool name. So jealous. Sick name. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Lucia, I called out as an Aries sun, a Gemini moon, and a Sagittarius rising. We see her, you know, one of that iconic scenes is her in that red dress looking absolutely fire looking tabasco um she that's like this aries thing that i i picked up on i just think that red color that mars you know she's bold she's impulsive she goes after what she wants without anything stopping her she is there's an innocence about her it's like a childlike quality um that you know gets her out of a lot of things uh that's very aries being the first sign of the zodiac uh, Gemini moon just gives her this detachment emotionally, I think, to do the work that she's doing. Um, it doesn't mean that she's unfeeling. It just means in this Gemini expression that she's able to separate some physical stuff with emotional state, I think. Um, she's also quick-witted. You know, she's, she's smart. She knows what to say, how to say it. She speaks great English. She's a go-getter. She's sort of got this very curious mind she's always plotting um and then the Sagittarius rising has a lot to do with her obvious love for the clothing and the beautiful things she wants to own the store she has these big dreams she wants to travel she wants to escape to see the world um that's very reading very Sagittarius as well as again more fire to her and and just this like big personality that she comes across with and then we have Mia, very different. Um, we have Mia, the Cancer Sun, again, according to me, uh, Leo, Moon, and Gemini rising. Cancer Sun, the first scene we see Mia in quite a mood, and it's over a guy. I think his name is Massimo or something. She She's pretty upset. Uh, she's pretty down and pouty. And it's Lucia that gets her out of that mood and sparks her back into you know the swing of things so to speak but leo moon you know she's this she's an artist she is a performer she wants to sing and when she realizes that she has sort of this platform within her reach she goes for it and and it's very you know fiery it's bold it's leo it's brave um and so i think that's why leo moon was fitting for her and and it's this cancer energy is also, it's the crab, it's leadership. So you've got sort of these two strong leadership qualities about her and also a determined characteristic. So I think that she's, um, that's definitely an interesting combo for her. And it's a little chaotic too with both of those energies, fire and water. And then add to the chaos, this Gemini rising, which is just sort of, again, just like Lucia, she's a quick thinker she's you know knows what to say to people to get them to do what she wants them to do uh with valentina how she convinces her 
that she should play the piano, how she convinces the pianist that he should let her, like all of these things are, are very Gemini rising. Um, but she definitely is sort of this little recipe for disaster. Like she almost kills the guy by mistake. She's, <laughs> she's, she's a very chaotic character and she really has such an arc because the first episode or two, she just seems so quiet and subdued, you know? I also love how when she sang, Lucia was just looking at her with such happiness. I love their relationship. I think that they have this desire to be something and maybe even though they're in like an amazing city, but maybe get out of this city or get out of the life that they've been given. And Mia is out there doing it. She's going to sit at the piano. And so there's like this moment of Lucia seeing her fulfill her dreams. And okay, what more can I do? What what else do I want out of my life? Yeah, they're like the Sicilian prostitute Disney princesses. <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, Simona Tabasco is the actress's name. What a great name. Um, who plays Lucia Greco. She's obviously like incredibly gorgeous and i'm sure yeah i'm sure like a lot of getting a lot of attention for this show because she's killing it she's kind of easy to sort of figure out a big three for because we do get a lot from her and i think we know her deal like she's a little snake in the grass i gave her an aries son because she's bold as hell like she just does not even (laughs) no thought process does not take any anything from anybody does not listen to literally anything anyone says it's even maybe aquarian too because it's very rebellious like she's such a rebel the concierge says no she's like okay the uh dominic de grasso is like don't talk to my son she's like no i'm not (laughs) i'm gonna do that right now actually it's like nothing anyone says to her she does i absolutely agree i think you know mia is sort of this she looks up to Lucia in so many ways, just as far as Lucia's action-oriented being. Um, but in other ways, like Mia is sort of this mothering sort of protector of Lucia as well. So there's just a very, there's a very beautiful synastry between these two in a friendship context. And, you know, Mia's this protective, almost a little bit stronger in a weird way, emotionally stronger than Lucia and you start to see that as her character begins to arc Um, but there's definitely this mutual adoration that they have for each other that's really really beautiful and it's this sort of Gemini sinistry that we see and then these fire sign connections with the moon and the two of them are yeah they're really cute (laughs) okay who's left I guess we didn't really talk about the lovely Valentina the concierge what a sweetie um I didn't really dive too deep into her without, I I simply just called out sort of the energies of the archetype she's giving me. And it was very Virgo and very Cancer. Virgo, mainly for her um, frazzled work ethic, like she gets very flustered at work and, but she likes to work alone. She knows that she could do the job best. She works best independently. Even though she has the staff, they're always incompetent or too incompetent for her. It's very Virgo. Um, she's very organized, very serious about her job. And her job happens to be hospitality, which is very big in uh, the Virgo archetype. is sort of this service-oriented sign. And then Cancer, um, because she is very, she has a lot of depth to her emotionally. And she is protective of those she cares about. And she's got loyalty qualities and fierceness to her. So those are that's what I got from her. And then back to the DeGrasso triad, the grandpa and the father. We touched a little bit on them, I think. But I think we're just going to call them 
two Sagges. <laughs> it's just a lot of Sagittarius energy. Maybe some Aries. I don't know. But that's that's my that's my wrap on the cast. I would love to do a recap episode, even if it's a little 15-minute one after the finale. So stay tuned. We can look at what's happened since then. We could see what the verdict is, who done it, who dies, who lives, who kills. And we can sort of maybe determine more about their astrology. So for next season, where do you think White Lotus will go? Oh, gosh. I want to do like a, you know, who your ideal cast would be. Than it. I think that's a whole episode in itself, but I definitely want to create my own little mood board of White Lotus season three and location. Yeah, location. Like, that's what I meant. What location do you think will. Ooh. I want it to be. We did Italy, so it can't be like Amalfi or Puglia or anything. I think like Morocco would be cool. Morocco would be really cool. In my mind, again, not an original thought. I'm very unoriginal these days. A ski resort. Oh, fun. That's so fun. That's great. It was just a thing I read online. It's a race for Knives Out and White Lotus. Who will be at a ski resort? Who will make the movie first or the TV show? I love it. A Swiss Alps or an Aspen. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. That's great. (laughs) That's great. Any last thoughts to wrap it up? No, I think we covered it. I'm super stoked for the finale. I think it'll be interesting for us to do maybe a recap episode after the finale. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you very soon. I'm Jen. And I'm Tina. And we'll see you soon. Bye.